Hello and welcome, my friend, to the third episode of the Minnesota Gardening Podcast. Today we have another great guest on for you on a very timely topic. This is something that's causing lots of issues and lots of consternation throughout Minnesota, but especially in southeast Minnesota and the metro as to just what do we do with jumping worms. Yep, you heard you heard that right. Jumping worms. It's a, an invasive species that is really devastating some forested areas and lots of gardens throughout Minnesota and Wisconsin and other areas. And today we have Laura Van Riper from the Minnesota DNR with us to talk about jumping worms. She's the terrestrial invasive species coordinator and just a wealth of knowledge on jumping worms. And we talk about other invasives. So it's a really educational, informational program for you here today about jumping worms. And again, any of the information you hear uh, today on here we have in the show notes at minnesotagardening.com slash three. So now we have Laura Van Riper with the Minnesota DNR to talk with us about jumping worms. All right. Today, I am really excited that we have another guest. I keep getting constantly asked about this question. This is one of the biggest things that people are talking about right now and what they should be doing about them. So we are honored to have the uh, Terrestrial Invasive Species Coordinator from the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. And we have Laura Van Riper here with us today to talk about the uh, jumping worms, which are just a huge, huge topic within the gardening world. And Laura, thank you so much for being with us here today to uh, chat. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's awesome to have you here because it, this is one of the biggest fears that people have uh, going on right now with regard to landscape and what's going on, especially in the Twin Cities and south in this area. But before we get into jumping worms, can you tell everybody what uh, your role as Terrestrial Invasive Species Coordinator is at the DNR? Sure. Uh, so I work in the DNR's Division of Ecological and Water Resources in uh, as part of our invasive species program. And as the terrestrial invasive species coordinator, I'm focused on land-based species, so species on land. Um, you contacted the DNR with a question about managing uh, buckthorn. You know, I can help you with that, that kind of uh, question. Uh, we try to share information about insects like emerald ash borer. Um, and then, of course, uh, there's also worms. Um, all, all earthworms are non-native to Minnesota, uh, and so uh, jumping worms are the, the latest earthworms, and that's definitely become a, a decent portion of my job to help share information on, on jumping worms. So thanks so much for doing that, Laura. It's really good to talk to someone who knows so much about what's going on with this whole jumping worm, jumping worm thing. And so where are jumping worms in Minnesota now, and where should people be concerned about them? Yeah, so they've, they've been confirmed in the, the Twin Cities metro area, um, and then also in southeastern Minnesota, especially in the, the Rochester area. We use a website called eddmaps.org. It stands for Early Detection and Distribution Mapping System. Um, and anyone can go to EdMaps and click on Distribution Maps and uh, type in jumping, and you can get jumping worms uh, showing up, and you can see a nice map of Minnesota. You can view it either by counties to see, you know, which counties have confirmed reports, uh, and then you can also click on points and sort of see, you know, actual sites that have had jumping worms confirmed, um, and you know, it'll give you a sense of of where they've been found uh, in the state. Got it. And what? 
why should people be concerned about jumping worms? What's what's the deal? Yeah. So Minnesota has no native earthworms. Uh, we don't know if we've ever had them, but there certainly haven't been native ones since the glaciers covered the state, you know, 10,000 years ago. So when our forests evolved, they evolved without earthworms. That leaf litter would build up year after year, uh, slowly decompose with fungi. Uh, and a lot of our native plant species are adapted to growing in that leaf litter layer. Native animal species depend on those plants and that habitat. And when earthworms came to Minnesota, they've been dramatically changing that. So we've had a number of species of Euro European uh, species of earthworms in Minnesota. And there's been extensive research on their impacts in forests. They come, they eat that leaf litter layer, pull it down deep, and you get sort of bare mineral, mineral soil and this last year's leaves uh, on top. And a lot of our native plants just can't grow well in that environment. And so you end up dramatically changing the understory of the forest, you know, which tree species are regenerating, how wildlife are using it. So we have, you know, a lot of information on the impacts that earthworms can have when they come to a new, a new area. With uh, jumping worms, they're, you know, much newer, newer to our state. Only in the last, uh, you know, 15 years or so have they been confirmed in Minnesota. They, you know, also, you know, eat that, that litter layer. One thing that's different about jumping worms is they aren't just eating dead plant material. They can also eat things like the fine root hairs on plants. So when jumping worms come to a site, one of the first signs is that the soil changes to this more um, kitty litter or coffee grounds-like texture, very friable. You can get increased erosion as you know, water comes through, washing down those, those grains. A lot of plants can't grow very well in that kind of material. So often that's kind of the first thing that that people see. Dr. Lee Freilich from the University of Minnesota, who was the first person to uh, document jumping worms in Minnesota, uh, talks about going to a garden that had jumping worms and, you know, being able to just pull out the hostas by hand because the soil had gotten so, so granulated. So that's, that's wow. one of the um, big concerns. So how does one know if they have jumping worms at their uh, at their home or at their location, wherever they're working? Yeah, so one one sign might be if you do start seeing, you know, places where plants aren't growing well and you notice that soil really getting granulated, that's probably a good sign to look closer. I feel like most people often see jumping worms when they're just doing regular gardening activities and, and working, you know, in their gardens. They may notice them then. Jumping worms are generally most common in the, you know, the mulch layer up on top. They don't generally go much deeper than six inches or so into the soil. So unlike, say, a nightcrawler that might go really deep in the soil, jumping worms are, are more towards the top. So if someone wanted to look for them, you know, you don't have to work too hard. You can go maybe use a little hand rake, uh, rake your mulch or leaf litter and, and see if there's worms in there. They, they wiggle really, really vigorously, hence the name jumping worms. They kind of move across the ground like a snake with that S-shaped motion. To really confirm jumping worms, you need to have, you know, have them, have them uh, you know, right in front of you, and they need to be mature. And mature worms have what's called a clitellum, or kind of a thick ring or band around their body. And on jumping worms, that ring is about 13 to 15 segments from the mouth, where in, with things like nightcrawlers, it's farther apart. So the, the DNR 
jumping worm webpage. I've got a nice link to a University of Minnesota jumping worm webpage that has, you know, a really nice diagram showing how a jumping worm looks different from, say, a night crawler. Got it. And I will put links to all these things in the show notes for this episode too, oh, so super. people will be able to yeah. go and, and find that. So we'll be able to uh, do that without any issues there. And so if, so people, if they see soil that looks weird in their gardens, if they see the worms toward the top, uh, six inches, if they're digging, if they see worms that are acting funny and different, those are good signs that someone may have jumping worms. And so if they, if they find jumping worms or what they think is jumping worms, what, what are the next steps that people take? What do folks do then? Yeah. So we've been encouraging people to send in photos to the DNR um, and we can help confirm that identification. You know, I think because jumping worms have gotten more publicity, uh, this is the first time a lot of us have really, you know, tried to figure out what species of earthworms are, are in our gardens, you know, that we might have multiple species and how you actually tell earthworm species apart from one another. So we're happy to, you know, help people on that on that journey. People can take a photo of the worm. We've found that it's helpful to have the worm on uh, maybe a piece of cardboard or on cement as a, a neutral background. Um, if you're using your phone, you know, don't use your, your zoom in feature. Just take it as it is that zooming in decreases the photo quality. So send in that high resolution a photo of the worm and know that the researchers are going to be counting the segments between that clitellum and the mouth. So that photo, you know, you should be able to look at it and see, okay, I can see how they would be counting, counting those segments. The other thing that people should know about jumping worms that's that's different from most of our worms here is that they have an annual life cycle. So instead of going down deep in the soil, overwintering uh, down there and coming back up in the spring as adults, um, jumping worms hatch from tiny eggs in the spring. Uh, they're immature during the spring months, getting bigger and bigger. And it's not until uh, late July that they're mature enough to have that clitellum and to be able to definitively identify their species. So if someone saw, saw a worm, you know, at this time of year, it's likely to be mature, have that clitellum, we could confirm identification. If someone had a suspicious worm, say in May, it may not have that clitellum and we might not be able to say at that point, you know, what species of worm it is. Got it. So that we will get into the life cycle in just a little bit here. So with like transportation and things like that of jumping worms and how they how they spread. But first, so if someone finds jumping worms at their house, you want them to report it. But then is there once you have it, do you just have it and you you are just perpetually out of luck there? Or is there something you can do? Is there any activity you can take to try and get rid of them or what happens next there? Yeah, so if jumping worms are confirmed, you know, um, there aren't any, you know, known management techniques for them. You know, there's no particular um, mulch, you know, that's known to reduce their numbers or provide more protection to your plants. There's no, uh, you know, chemical uh, approved or studied for, for that. University of Minnesota researchers are looking into various, you know, amendments that, you know, may reduce jumping worm impacts. But at this point, you know, there's no silver bullet or, or research recommendations. What you can do, and, you know, one reason it's really important to understand if you have jumping worms or not, is you can, you know, alter your actions so you prevent spreading it to new sites. So if you had jumping worms in your garden, you wouldn't want to dig up a plant, share it with a friend across town, or bring it up to a cabin um, and potentially introduce jumping worms to new, new places. Um, so you can prevent their spread. That's a really important action that you can take. 
The other piece of information we share is, you know, to, to keep calm. We're learning about jumping worms. People have jumping worms, you know, and are still able to garden. They still have plants. You might see a difference in, you know, which plants are doing okay with jumping worms and which aren't. We're still trying to get a better handle on that. And that kind of leads into an additional action is uh, University of Minnesota Extension, you know, is soliciting information from gardeners. If you if you try something like you change your mulch type, you know, share that with them and let let them know what kind of results you're seeing. Or if you've noticed that, say, your hostas are doing poorly, but a different plant you have seems to be doing just fine with jumping worms, you know, that's helpful information uh, to have as well. So as we start hearing from more people, you know, we might be able to pull together more guidance or it might help, you know, direct more formal studies of um, those specific plants or actions. And I had also read from, I believe it was the University of Wisconsin, about being able to use mixture of water and mustard in order to try and bring the worms to the surface and reduce the population. Is that anything you recommend or is that something that just doesn't work or how, what do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, it absolutely works. Um, It's been used to study earthworms for a long time. Um, Researchers will mark off a little square pour this oil and, or sorry, water and mustard mixture into the ground. The mustard is really irritating to the worms, so they come up to the top to try to uh, get away from that mustard. So, like, researchers will use that to, you know, be able to quantify, okay, we have, you know, this amount of worms per square meter in this forest, and they can use it that way. Um, it's especially important with worms that are pretty deep in the soil. So if you do that, you'll get a pretty thorough picture we found that for jumping worms, since they do tend to be more towards the surface, you know, generally, especially on a, a cooler or moister day, if you're just out looking around in your your mulch beds, you know, you probably don't you probably don't need to do the mustard to be able to to find jumping worms if they're present. Got it. And if somebody does find jumping worms and they want to dispose of them, what's the best way to if they find one? you know, in their backyard, what do they, what do they do with it? Yeah. So you can put jumping worms into a plastic bag and then dispose of them in the trash. Got it. Perfect. Good. So you, we talked a little bit about moving jumping worms around. And if you, it's really important to make sure that you are checking your garden and looking for the signs of them to make sure, you know, or you don't, you know, you do or don't have them. So you're not moving your plants around and that kind of thing. How in general are jumping worms, moving and how are they getting from one place to another? Yeah, so jumping worms um, and and earthworms in general produce eggs in little egg cases called cocoons Um, and those are small and hard to see so they can be in the soil um, and you might not you know realize that they're there. So when soil is being moved from one place to another um, that can move can move jumping worms from one place to another. Uh, University of Minnesota Duluth did a study where they ordered earthworms online from various companies for um, vermicomposting purposes um, and, you know, and found that there were cases where jumping worms were a contaminant. It wasn't the species they ordered, but jumping oh, no. worms were present. So sometimes That's no people, good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So, so sometimes, uh, you know, people think they're getting one species of worm and there might be another one present. In some places, uh, if the if jumping worms get into, say, a community yard waste site and the yard waste compost is not getting heated uh, according to the process for further reducing pathogens where 
tiles are have their temperature recorded and are turned on a schedule and it makes sure they're thoroughly heated. If the compost isn't really thoroughly heated, uh, jumping worms and their eggs can survive in it. So if people come to pick up that compost, they might potentially be bringing the worms and the eggs back to their homes. And so that's a way it can spread throughout a community as well. On that same thread of things, should people be concerned about purchasing topsoil or compost or even plants from nurseries or or anything like that? What level of concern should people have about that from the commercial side of things? Yeah, so we, we do get that question and we've even um, added it to the frequently asked questions section of the, the University of Minnesota jumping worm webpage. You know, how do I get something that's, um, you know, free of jumping worms? You know, one thing you can do is, you know, contact the suppliers and ask them if they're aware of jumping worms. You know, what kind of steps do they take to prevent jumping worms from getting into their materials? Uh, are they regularly inspecting their products for jumping worms? Uh, so you know, those kind of things, if, if the companies are being careful about materials coming in, um, you know, clean and not potentially introducing jumping worms to a site, you know, that's that's really important. Um, that's I think probably the, the most direct way is to talk to those suppliers, you know, about um, about jumping worms and, and hear from them, you know, what they're doing to prevent the spread. Right. And so at this point, are you, is the DNR recommending anything for homeowners, like with sharing plants and different things like that? Because obviously in the spring, you, it's really difficult to tell if something, are there any are there any action items, action steps that you have uh, that you recommend for homeowners to take if they are going to a plant swap or going to uh, something like that where where split plants are sold and that kind of thing? Are there any recommendations that way? There are, yeah, and and University of Minnesota Extension and, and Master Gardeners have been have been working to help share that information. You know, the general advice is if if you have confirmed jumping worms in your yard you know, it's probably safest not to contribute plants to those kind of um, activities. Um, if you if you don't, if you look for jumping worms in your yard, you're pretty confident you don't, then the next step would be to share plants as, as bare root plants. So dig the plants out and then use water to rinse the soil off, you know, in your own yard so the soil's staying, staying put. Um, and then either share the plant as a bare root plant uh, or repot it into sterile potting soil. So you're not moving that soil from place to place so that that soil is what could contain the jumping worm eggs um which again are are tiny uh so it would be hard to, you know to see whereas you might see an actual adult worm you know and be able to pick that out but it's the the um, the egg cases that are, are harder to see so that's that's the general advice if you do if you do um you know want to participate in those um you know selling them as bare root plants or repotting them into sterile potting soil it, it's Sometimes I get the question of, I went to a plant sale, or, you know, or a neighborhood plant swap, and I want to knock off the soil that came with it. What do I do with it? And that's that's a lot harder. Um, it's much better to just not bring that soil versus, you know, having the soil come to your home when you're not sure, you know, if it has jumping room eggs in it or not, and you're trying to figure out how to how to wash off the plant in your home, and then what do you do with that water that's got soil in it? Um, much much more straightforward to to be. Um, you know, confident in the first place uh, with what you're buying. 
Perfect. So we have, Laura, covered a lot of ground here. <laughs> so if uh, it's just a ton of information. So I'm going to ask uh, one kind of clarifying question here is there seems to be a around jumping worms, a lot of concern in the public. And uh, it's not to the point, I think, of unwarranted concern at all. But what what level do you think people should be worried about jumping worms at this point? And do you see that increasing over time or what what do you see is where we're at today in the future looks like yeah one one thing i think that's helpful about jumping worms is that they've you know maybe gotten people thinking a bit more about um you know materials that they're bringing onto their site or materials that they're bringing off um you know weed seeds have always been an, an issue that they can get into into soils or other materials that are, are moved from place to place um so, you know, a lot of the, same, the actions you take on jumping worms are things you might also take to prevent, you know, weed seeds from coming to your site. Uh, so there's these general prevention, um, you know, actions, I think, uh, are important for jumping worms and for other things. So the whole idea of come clean, leave clean, right? If you're, if you're recreating, you know, go to the site with clean boots, come home with clean boots. These, you know, if you're, if you're sharing materials with somebody, you know, clean them off really thinking through, you know, moving plants from place to place and the soil and what could what could move with them. So I think a lot of, you know, the, the actions people take, um, you know, are, are good ones to take, even if jumping worms weren't here, you know, to understand, you know, where the materials came from that you're, you're bringing to your site, um, you know, what might come with them. Uh, I think we're still learning a lot about, about jumping worms um, and their impacts in Minnesota, how impacts... Uh, here may differ from other places because of our soil or climate or the plant species we're growing. Um, I think we still have a lot to learn about, you know, are there some garden management practices that might reduce jumping worms? It's really exciting that University of Minnesota is, is working on um, this research and I'm excited to see you know, what they learn over the next few years. I think it's an important species for people to be aware of. I think it's an important species for people to work to prevent, you know, from coming to their site. Uh, you know, but I also think that we're going to learn a lot more. And so, you know, for people who do have jumping worms confirmed on their sites, you know, they're likely to still be able to have plants on their site. Things just might change a bit. And we're still, you know, trying to learn those impacts and learn ways to mitigate those impacts. Laura, thank you so much for your just wealth and breadth of knowledge that you've got about jumping worms and uh, other terrestrial. And we will definitely have to have you back to talk about other uh, invasive species because we're running out of time here today that you are because it's really neat to see the things that you are working on. So um, we have at the end of our podcast, we do a couple of quick kind of quick fire type questions. Uh, First one is what is your favorite place to visit in Minnesota? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Oh, I mean, it's so cliche, but I love the Mississippi headwaters. It's just a cool spot. It's neat when you're standing there to think about where that spot, wet water's going. You know, it, it was fun for me to see it, um, you know, by myself as an adult. And it was even more fun to introduce my son to it um, a couple of years ago. So right, it's definitely one of my favorite places. That's a great one. And the... Uh, Cathedral Pines, what are they? Is it the little area called? We're going up there in a couple of weeks as well, so I'll I'll check out to make sure I remember what. But the giant white pines are just uh, right, amazing right. up there. So, next question: What is your favorite food grown in Minnesota? Honeycrisp apples. 
perfect. What is essential reading for you, Laura? I, you know, I definitely like um, science nonfiction. <laughs> um, is one of my that's surprising my favorite, favorite genres. Not <laughs> not too not too shocking. Uh, do you want a recommendation of one I found interesting? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, the book Bad Blood about um, Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes, um, who's coming up for trial soon. So interesting, interesting look at both Fasc- science and yeah. business all together. And then the last question is a question that comes from my 10-year-old. Um, and this is the most gardening-related uh, question we've got here. So if you were a plant, what plant would you be? Oh, what a fun question. Well, I think, I don't know if I would be, but I, I would like to be a cup plant. Um they're one of Aww. my favorite native plants. I've got a, a nice patch in the backyard. Um, I am not a tall person, so that'd be my way to kind of experience life a little taller. I love how they look. I love how they, you know, cup the water. Uh, and I love it when the, the birds come to visit them when they've gone to seed. Beautiful. I will uh, put a link to cup plants in there, too, because that's not <laughs> one you hear of very often. That's a great thing. Okay. So wonderful. Well, Laura Van Riper from uh, the Terrestrial Invasive Species Coordinator for the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. Thank you so, so much for being here and sharing your knowledge on jumping worms and what people can do if uh, they unfortunately do find them at their house or uh, and to prevent their spread. Thanks. I think we did a, a good job covering it. It's a big it's a big topic and I really appreciate people's uh, interest in it. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Laura, and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks. You too. Bye bye. See what I mean? Laura was just a huge, huge help in talking about jumping worms and just getting great, solid information out there to Minnesota gardeners about what's going on with jumping worms, what they need to know, what's important, all of that. So I just really appreciate her time in talking about jumping worms with us for the Minnesota Gardening Podcast. And so you can find all the links and information to what we discussed at minnesotagardening.com slash three. That's the number three, minnesotagardening.com slash slash three. And there also you will find a link to a survey that Minnesota Extension is doing at the University of Minnesota Extension is doing. And that is asking homeowners to do a survey of their property to look for jumping worms. And so they would like to hear from you whether you have found any evidence of jumping worms, whether you do not find evidence of jumping worms, and just fill out that survey to let them know where they're at today. So it's on minnesotagardening.com slash three. So this has been the third episode of our new Minnesota Gardening Podcast, and I would love to hear what you have to say. I love making this podcast and hope you've loved listening to it and learned a lot while we do this here. And uh, if you can write us a review anywhere you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe so that you get timely information that's really pertinent to where you're at and what's going on in gardening here in Minnesota. So stay tuned. Next Tuesday, we have just a really great episode as well with a new gardener in Minnesota. Talk about her journey as becoming a gardener and what she's learned and what she expects to do in the future. So it's a really great different type of episode than we have so far. So come back next Tuesday and I'll talk to you soon.